This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. It's MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Good Thursday morning to you. Sam, interesting show coming up today. Uh, we've talked to uh, a bunch of the, the movers and shakers of the Mississippi sporting world proper yes. uh, over the last <laughs> handful of weeks and months. And uh, today we're going to take a little bit of a different angle and uh, see it from the outside looking in. David Brandt, the, a sports editor for the uh, Associated Press in Mississippi will be on the program. Always fun to talk to him. I always feel like uh, if this writing thing never works out, and it's been like, I don't know, like 12 years not working out now, but if, ever, yeah. if it ever doesn't work out, he would be amazing at sports radio. But um, he'll be on the program today to kind of give us a little bit of the general picture of what's going on sports-wise here in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, he was at that game on Tuesday night, Mississippi State and Kentucky, uh, where the Bulldogs had a grand showing and nearly pulled off a, uh, a big upset. And I think uh, I think a lot of folks have been talking about this, Jay, on uh, social media and things like that. But I think State is about a year away. I think next year will be the year that State really pushes Kentucky for uh, a possible SEC first, second, you know, first or second in the league. South Carolina will graduate a lot of folks. I think Florida will have a good team next year. Uh, who knows uh, really about the rest of the league because they're, the Ole Miss, Tennessee, Auburn are all kind of, and Alabama are all just kind of a, the same program right now. Uh, but I think next year, uh, with some added recruits that states got committed to them right now, they uh, they could really make a push if they can continue to to keep this upward trajectory and keep Weatherspoon there. Now that's the key. If he keeps doing as well as he is, he's going to leave. <laughs> that's well, that's true. Uh, you know, it is it is interesting. He will get to play with his brother though, so maybe that'll be something that keeps him there. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, he uh, his brother uh, Nick was uh, part of the big lineup at the Rumble in the South, which took place at the uh, the Wood Coliseum at Mississippi College this week also. Where I graduated our, high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, MLK Day spectacular here in the state of Mississippi. It's, a, it's an event that's basically all day and most of the night. Uh, high school basketball games back-to-back. I think it starts like 11 o'clock in the morning and runs till about 10 or 11 p.m. Seven or eight games in a row, which is some cool, um, uh, you know, public-private school matchups, too, as uh, uh, MRA took on, oh, of course, now I'm going to forget who it was they played. It was number one versus number one. Brandon? Yes, thank you. Um, uh, And Brandon won by six, which I think uh, maybe would be a little bit surprising to a lot of people, that the number one public school team in the state beat the number one private school team in the state, but only by six. 61-55, so it was a pretty interesting game right there. I'd be very shocked if it was only by six in football. That would shock me. <laughs> Basketball, yeah. I think, might be a little bit more of an even playing field. But Well, the thing is, and, and I don't know, it's it, – it, baseball yeah. is the one where where they are, are most even, yeah. I would say. For sure. And, and maybe even uh, – it might even tilt toward the private schools to a, a certain extent because uh, – I don't know. But uh, the very top – private schools, the very, you know, top two or three percent can probably run with, you know, most all of the public schools, but then you have a, a, a pretty fast drop off. And I would say the case is even more so in football. You know, maybe the top 
two or three could run with a bunch of public schools, even the ones in the highest classifications, you know, like Jackson Prep, for example. I mean, they've they beat Oxford before they beat St. Stanislaus before they beat Bassfield. But not far after Jackson Prep, you get a as you can tell by looking at the history of the championships. And I don't want to go off on that one. But uh, (laughs) uh, as you can tell, there's there's a pretty significant drop off, like almost immediately. Yeah. So it's kind of like uh, maybe uh, comparable to maybe college women's college basketball. A uh, very good analogy. Where you have about five teams that are really really good, and then a bunch of other teams <laughs> that are. And not they set the record. Well. I get you know UConn's they reset their own record for consecutive wins, and I'm just like everybody. ESPN is really weird with how they word stuff like that. Um, you know they they use this comparative language, and I just I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm not really into that either. I was I was out of town this weekend, and uh, they they broke into uh, a Kentucky Auburn basketball game, which was relatively close to show UConn set the record by beating SMU by like 56 points. Yeah, and uh, they tied I mean, the record. A ticker a ticker would have been fine for that. For that, if it was close, I mean, I get it, but you know, they tied the record against South Florida, which is largely believed to be. Widely considered the second best team in their league, the Atlanta, the American yeah, Athletic, Athletic Conference. Conference. And uh, in the game that they did it, I believe South Florida came into that game ranked twentieth, and UConn won the game. I want to say like a hundred to a hundred to thirty five or something. They won by sixty plus. Yeah, that, this is something we could get into in another show uh, because I do want to ask you about a couple other things before we uh, hit the break. And then uh, the second segment of the show, Jay, we're going to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame induct induct in, excuse me the voting uh, yeah. and the inductees that were voted on yesterday because the Baseball Hall of Fame fascinates me because uh, next year the votes will be public. That's right, and I cannot wait to see that. Uh, so that's going to be really. Uh, I do like though that they they said that they're going to be public, but it is public like a week after. Yeah, a week after the announcement. So people kind of I forget guess, in I, this day and age, people will have forgotten that I that hope, happened. Well, I don't know, but I, but I guess don't. you know long enough to keep the heat off. Yeah, to a certain extent. But some of these folks, like I know Pedro Gomez, has been taking some heat <laughs> for his for his ballot. I don't know. It, it, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. The, you mentioned Howland, though, and next year maybe being the year for State. If you look at his career, the third year, wherever he's been, that's been the year where the accelerator really dropped. Uh, you're talking about uh, he started at Northern Arizona, 9-17, and 7-19, and 19, and then the third year, 21-7, and 7, won the league, and then the next year, 21-8, and 8, and won the league. Yeah. Uh, at Pittsburgh, 13-15, and 15, 19 and 14, third year 29 and 6, and went to the Sweet 16. Um, at UCLA, 11 and 17, 18 and 11, third year 32 and 7, won the Pac 10 national runner up. Yeah. Uh, and that was three straight Final Fours that he went to there. So yeah. Mississippi State, 14 and 17. This year they're 12 and 5, and they'll probably have a decent record. By the end of the year, I think there's they got a good chance of winning twenty games yeah. whatever, for whatever that's worth, as we've learned. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, especially north, north, a little northwest of there. Yeah, winning yeah. twenty games doesn't really matter too much. Yeah, and and then you know next year it looks like there's a uh, an opportunity for them to do a whole lot of damage next year. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, Jay, let's dive into a little bit of instead of a NCAA women's basketball where it's not quite as even, Stephen. Uh, boy, what a fantastic weekend for the NFL. Actually, what a great day for sun- on Sunday as, uh, unfortunately, Dak Prescott learned what it's like to be in the NFL, Jay. He got burned by uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers in the very last minutes of the game. And uh, unfortunately, uh, our, I guess, Mississippi connection now rests, uh, well, not unfortunately, but uh, Dak Prescott is out. So the only uh, Mississippi connections, I believe, that are still left around are on the New England Patriots side of the football with Stephen Guskowski, the kicker, who was uh, from Madison Central and uh, attended the University of Memphis. And, of course, the Super Bowl hero, Malcolm Butler, who's yeah. from Vicksburg, that everybody uh, raved about. But your thoughts a little bit on the uh, on the, that outstanding game. And, boy, I think Dak Prescott showed everybody in the country that the, the it's not just a – he's not warming the seat up for Tony Romo to take it over next year. I think the Dallas Cowboys will have to get rid of Tony Romo, and I think it's Dak Prescott's team now. Yeah, the question is, can you get rid of Tony, Tony Romo? That's that's going to be a daunting chore that they have in the offseason because the biggest deal for him is not it's not who are you going to move or do you want to move him. It's how do you get somebody to take on his contract. Maybe GQ magazine can take it on. <laughs> right. So because he looks fantastic like, standing he, there with the clipboard right, for sure. Right. Making like nineteen million a year. Uh, and still has a couple of years left on that deal, and he's 36, and he's got bones of glass. So uh, uh, that's going to be uh, quite a sell job. But I'm sure there there are teams out there that are desperate enough for an established quarterback, which he is, that if they have the room, Cleveland Browns maybe, I don't know, one of the Los Angeles teams. Maybe the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, maybe so, that, uh, <laughs> that they would pull the trigger on that if they felt like that, that's the last step that they would need to get over the hump to being a Super Bowl contender, or if it's the Browns, maybe, uh, get over the hump to being um, uh, respectable, yeah, uh, competitive. So that'll be interesting. But, yeah, that game was remarkable. Uh, I mean, great comeback by Dallas, super competitive game. The, you know, the lead goes back and forth right there at the end. It's the best football game I've seen this year, uh, best NFL game I've seen in quite a while. And uh, you got to give – uh, Dak and the Cowboys credit for not folding up when they had an opportunity to fell behind 18 there. And then at the same time, when the Cowboys had basically captured all of the momentum late in that game, if they go into overtime, you got to think the Cowboys have a really good chance to finish that thing out. Yeah. Uh, but then with half a minute left, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, they be, the stories I've heard is he basically, I mean, he told the receivers on the play, the play that he wound up throwing to Cook, that that throw against his body, off his back leg, <laughs> sidearm flip. That's crazy. That was you know thirty five, thirty five yards on a on a line, uh, to exactly a spot where only his guy could get it on the sideline. It's just an insane throw. But anyway, basically on that on that play, the story is that he just told the receivers one by one what route to run. Like that, that was it was not a play that they called necessarily. He's like, you run this, you run that. I need you to do this, and you do that. All right, and it's like he drew up a play in the dirt essentially, and that's in the, that's in the, the rubber beauty. pellets, <laughs> right? And that's the beauty of 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 uh, Aaron Rodgers. Two plays in that last drive, well, three really. Of course, you had the the kicker who had missed like six straight at fifty plus or something like that. Yeah. Uh, he hit the kick not once but twice, and can we can we throw away freezing the quarterback? You mean can freezing we, the kicker? Uh, yeah, freezing the kicker. Uh, maybe we should save it to freeze the quarterback. Yeah. But yeah, freezing <laughs> the kicker that is ridiculous. Can we stop doing that? That never works. 
It never works. Yeah. And you can, it, it's look, if you call a timeout right as they're about to kick and he misses it, you've given him new life. You know, and if he makes it, you've you've seen him. You've given him a chance to know what it looks and feels like to make the very kick he yeah, needs to, to measure make. it out. So, I mean, there's no good way to do that. Uh, and I think it just I mean, we're in a day and age where, you know, a guy doesn't sit around for 45 seconds and go, oh, no, I may miss. I mean, I mean, it's like 1924. I the mean, only come on. The only time freezing the kicker ever worked, and uh, our colleague Kevin Farrell might want to turn off his radio, was when the kicker was actually frozen, Blair Walsh, in the uh, for the Vikings last year when he when he missed that one. I think the Seattle Seahawks did free did call the timeout before that too, but uh, I agree with you. But what a well, you're right. It was a fantastic game, and like I said, I think he solidified himself as a. Uh, as uh, the quarterback for Dallas, and I yeah. think going forward, uh, you know, you got a couple of more years left of him versus Eli for the Giants, so that'll be big for the state of Mississippi. But uh, Chad Kelly might be—I've seen him uh, fourth or fifth round uh, draft grade. I guess a lot to do, you know, with tearing his ACL towards the end of the season. Uh, so you might have, uh, if uh, you know, history proves uh, uh, yeah, true, maybe he'll be up there starting too. So maybe three quarterbacks from the state. Uh, from the state colleges will be there, and uh, I want to count on Nick Mullins either at least making a roster. Yeah, with the way he played at Southern Miss too. Uh, Jay, we got a little bit of more, a little bit of time in this first segment. I want to By ask way, you real fast. Let me finish those those three plays in that in that drive. The, the kicker making the kick twice. Number one, super clutch. Both the kickers made clutch plays, but um, the the tight end Cook making that catch. Yeah, that was an incredible. Catch. And then catching it so where that his feet could drag inbounds before his knees touched down out of bounds while making that catch. He made that catch. His hands and his arms and the ball were out of bounds where he caught it, having to drag his feet. Remarkable yeah. uh, feat of athleticism. And then uh, the other one. That ab the, work, man. The, the Right. That's doing that ab <laughs> work Doing that P90X, all that core, <laughs> right? No, but anyway, maybe the most remarkable and and will ultimately be overlooked playing that whole game. And if you're Dallas, you're like, man, we made the plays. We made the plays we needed to make. It just didn't work is the sack. Yeah. You know, the the corner or whatever, the safety of the corner, I can't remember what where he was coming from, but he comes absolutely free um, on Rogers' blind side and just T-bones the guy at full speed, and Rogers doesn't fumble. I don't know how he didn't fumble. Yeah. I mean, he, he got T-boned by a brick wall. And didn't see or hear it coming, and he did not drop the football somehow or another. I don't know how. It's almost it's a statistical anomaly how he didn't drop the football, you know, when getting <laughs> jackknifed by a, you know, a 240-pound football player, and that allowed them to keep the ball. And then the other plays that we just talked about happened right after that. Uh, I mean, if if he fumbles on that play, which I mean, he, you ha- you almost have to, yeah, uh, it's almost human nature to do that. Then that tears the whole thing up, that drive anyway, and they go into overtime, and Dallas possibly wins. Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. It was kind of super. I, I, I bet you he didn't even re- realize that he didn't fumble. It may just be kind of second nature to. You know, yeah. chuck it in like that or or whatever. Uh, Jay, as we all have uh, been inundated with uh, through the media here, the uh, presidential inauguration is tomorrow. So uh, the last ceremony for the president uh, for Barack Obama was to welcome the Chicago Cubs to the World Series uh, to uh, to the White House to celebrate their World Series championship on uh, on Monday. And I thought this was pretty. Uh, 
I wanted to mention this on our show because I think it's kind of funny for me and you, of course, being big sports fans. We all we both have our team allegiances. We both have teams we do not like. <laughs> Ironically, the Chicago Cubs are a team that the president does not like as he is a diehard White Sox fan. And when they presented him with the number 44 Cubs jersey, he uh, refused to put it on. Usually they put the jersey on, you know, yeah. and, uh, and uh, Ferguson Jenkins, uh, the Cubs Hall of Fame pitcher, said, uh, put your jersey on. And he said, oh, I'll just leave it right there. It's okay. It's sitting right there. <laughs> so uh, I ask you as an Oakland A's fan, if it were President Jay White welcoming the San Francisco Giants to the World Series, the World Series champion Giants in 2035. Oh, man, uh, that's have, a great point. you got to have your chance to, to get, uh, to get your, uh, your political feet wet before you can just jump right into the presidency. Well, maybe you mm. don't. Uh, would you put on the San Francisco Giants jersey? No, I wouldn't have invited them. <laughs> See, they wouldn't be there in the first place. That's what I told my uh, my sister and I were talking about it. And you know, my sister and I went to Ole Miss. My wife went to Mississippi State, and she said, uh, you know, if Mississippi State wins the national championship when you're the president, you'd have to put the jersey on. And I said, Nah, I'd bring out the first lady right. and let her. Uh, yeah, wear. if the Giants won the World Series, I'd be like, Go talk to Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a pretty interesting thing. I think that's pretty funny. I don't think there's been very many sports fans in the White House. I guess George uh, W. Bush owned the Texas Rangers. I guess he was a pretty big uh, Rangers and, uh, and baseball fan. And, yeah. uh, and uh, President Obama seemingly loves the uh, White Sox throughout the first pitch there uh, at Comiskey or I guess the U.S. Cellular now a couple of times. So I thought that was pretty funny. I thought that was a very human moment uh, by, uh, that is by the president. Yeah. All right. We will take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll continue on. We have uh, David Brandt on the show today, the sports editor from the Associated Press here in the state of Mississippi. We'll be talking uh, about Mississippi's basketball teams. We've got a top five team on the women's side. The men's team, uh, men's team's playing some uh, pretty good basketball right now. And then a couple of uh, legislative bills that have been introduced that have to deal with sports. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. Listen to stories and shows. Go to mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. We have David Brandt coming up in just a little bit on the program today, the sports editor for the Associated Press in the state of Mississippi. All right, Sam, what else did we have that uh, we were so going to do is, today? What, well, tell, let's, uh, let's dive into these bills here a little bit because <laughs> I'm curious about this. And we'll ask uh, – well, maybe we'll bring in one of our MPB news staff, maybe uh, Ezra Wall oh. or uh, – or um, Mark Rigsby, the producer of At Issue, can can uh, shed a little light on it. Or, you know, maybe we'll just grab one of the senators while they're in town. All right. Reading from a, a Vice.com sports article here, because uh, it's the latest thing I can find on it. A legislator in Mississippi is trying to uh, change the atmosphere by forcing schools in her state to put aside 33% of their bowl earnings to give a proportionate share to graduating athletes. Uh, the deal, uh, the bill, excuse me. Freudian slip. Uh, introduced by Democrat Omiria Scott states that university athletes invest much time, effort, and focus to their athletic pursuits, which may result in the university's invite and acceptance to a postseason bowl game 
including playoff games, earning significant monies for the athlete's institution. Uh, The legislature further finds that athletic coaches are compensated generously from the bowl game revenues and in general, whereas the athletes (laughs) receive much less significant monetary gain or none above the table from their hard work and dedication to the sport. Uh, Therefore, it continues, athletes who do more than anyone else to create the college football product that generates this money should have a right to a fair portion of it. This is a a very logical idea uh, that would be a no-brainer in any other part of our supposed capitalist society. But, of course, we're talking about college football, which is somehow different because 19th century English aristocrats made up the concept of amateurism. Uh, that's a little bit of uh, liberty that the, <laughs> art, the author of this uh, article is talking about. So well, uh, basically what it's talking about is uh, revenue from bowl games, 33% of it would be put into escrow to allow graduating athletes to get a uh, pro rata portion of it upon their graduation. I don't know that I see anything wrong with that at all, Sam. I think it's pretty well thought out. I mean, I do too, but uh, um, the only thing I see wrong with it is this, this is never going to happen. <laughs> the, the, uh, oh, Ole sure. Miss, that our institutions who go to bowl games, namely Ole Miss, Southern Miss, Mississippi State, and I guess I don't know what the deal is with the payout for uh, the Heritage Bowl. for ja- Is it called the Heritage Bowl or Celebration Bowl for um, uh, for Jackson State, Alcorn State, and perhaps Mississippi Valley to get into that by winning the SWAC championship? I'm not sure what the. I'm not sure if it's the same kind of deal with you know bowl gifts and weeks at a bowl and things like that because it's like the next week after uh, the thing. But uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, for example, and Southern Miss and uh, Jackson State and everybody else are members of the NCAA, and it strictly prohibits being paid <laughs> paying student athletes, so they can't do it. Right. I mean, it's you know, I mean, it'd be like uh, if a state legislature sponsored a bill out, uh, that said, you know, if you were starving, you could steal bread. Well, bread's illegal. I mean, stealing is illegal, so you can't steal something. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if they put that out there or not. It's kind of like uh, long ago, the legislature used to try and force Mississippi State and Ole Miss to uh, to legislate them playing Southern Miss every year, and it's like, well, I mean, that's fine and good, but Ole Miss and State have to play eight game SEC schedules. Sometimes it doesn't work out scheduling on certain dates because Southern Miss has a conference schedule they have to abide by as well. So it's like, I don't really, I appreciate her um, caring uh, for the athletes' well, financial well-being, but uh, I just don't think it's ever going to happen unless the teams break away to some sort of non-NCAA entity. Even then it's not because, look, the the people who are going to make sure that this doesn't happen, I think the the – I mean, I, I don't think the coaches are even necessarily against this. I mean, Steve Spurrier tried to set something up like this for his own players out of yeah. his own pocket at in one South point. Carolina. Yeah, and um, so the coaches, I don't think, are the ones that are against it. Um, and they're usually the ones that wear the brunt of how much money uh, college makes because those are guys that, derail, that that deal directly with players who are unpaid while they are millionaires, multimillionaires. Uh, and that's interesting, but... The, the what's not going to allow this to happen is conference commissioners. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. what's not going to allow this to happen is university presidents. That goes to the NCAA as well because uh, it's the same deal. Yeah, but, but uh, the, yeah, the, I see what you mean. The bowl revenue that each team gets from their bowl appearances, it, it they don't it doesn't go to the school. It goes directly to the conference, 
and it's put into it's put together with all of the revenue that the conference receives from all of their bowl appearances, and then that total is split up. Uh, how many ever different schools there are in your league, and then one share for the league. So, for example, it's fifteen. Um, yeah, for the SEC, you got fourteen schools, and you got the league office. So, whatever bowl revenue they make at the end of the season, each individual season, it's split up fifteen ways. It's part of their revenue sharing issue or plan, and. I guarantee you if something like this uh came to light they would split they would split that 33% off before it goes to the league and so the only I mean from a monetary standpoint the only schools that would hurt would be Ole Miss and Mississippi State and the same thing for Conference USA who is even more starved for money because they don't have really good media contracts at all so that bowl <laughs> revenue they need every dollar of it that they can have uh and so you know splitting a third off of that to pay the players, uh, while I think perfectly, perfectly good in theory, uh, I just think the 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 people who are in charge of it are not going to give it up. Yeah, uh, uh, what, I, just, I was tossing around the idea with uh, with a buddy of mine the other day that perhaps coaches who uh, uh, are have a losing season and do not take their teams to a bowl game should have to split. Fifty percent their earnings and give that to the uh, to the pot to divide up amongst the fifteen uh, thing, and then once they return to bowl eligibility, they get their other half back. Wow, now that is a little pay for play. Uh, That's an incentive, right? <laughs> That's a pay there. for play call right there. Uh, and just using an example, Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss did not make a bowl this season. Two, uh, he makes five million a year, so two point five million dollars of his salary would be shaved off and thrown into the. I don't know that I would into the loop. I don't know how legal that could be, but I know. I mean, <laughs> it those would guys be, be very illegal. I'm sure <laughs> those guys make a lot of bonuses for you know bowl games, you know conference finishes. I mean, I don't know how many bonuses Nick Saban made for making it to the championship game, winning the SEC, winning the SEC West, beating playing, Auburn, playing in a New Year's Day Six Bowl, winning your big rival game. I mean, for coaches, all of those things have some sort of contract bonus in it, and so. If you want to take all that bonus money and on years when that bonus money is not reached, if you want to take that and throw it into you know some sort of holding, uh, that's pretty decent. The other yeah. one, and this is one that's just come out in the last day or two, and this is pretty interesting. Um, it's an act to create the National Collegiate Athletic Association Fairness in Fact Investigations Act of 2017. That rolls right <laughs> off the tongue. Uh, it is to prescribe guidelines to be used by the NCAA when carrying out investigation of association rules and regulations by public member institutions in the state of Mississippi to provide the legislative purpose and intent of this act to define terms used in this act to provide that the NCAA enforcement staff and its committee on infractions shall have nine months to complete the investigation and issue its ruling to require any appellate action to be concluded within six months of the Committee on Infraction's final decision on the investigation, to stipulate that information should be included in the letters of preliminary and official inquiry, to provide that the letter of official inquiry shall serve as notice of investigation and commence the toll to run to complete the investigation and ruling, to require the member institution to provide notice to the Board of Trustees of State Institutions of Higher Learning at the end of the three-month period, uh, to uh, respond to the allegations in the letter of official inquiry, to provide all notices and rulings, uh, they shall be uh, they shall be documents subject to access under the Mississippi Public Records Act of 1983. Interesting, and uh, to provide penalties to imposed uh, to be imposed 
upon the NCAA. Now, here's the big kicker, right? It's a big finish. It's a finishing <laughs> move right here. To provide penalties to be imposed upon the NCAA. Okay. For each day the investigation extends the required applicable period for the investigation, ruling, and appeal, and for related purposes, be it enacted by the legislature of the state of Mississippi. I like that right there. <laughs> I don't, that, that thing didn't have a snowball's chance and you know where of going anywhere. But I like, I like what, they're, what they're trying to do here. They're giving the NCAA, look, you got, you got three months from when you start to get this thing going. And then once it's going, you got nine months to finish. And after that, you got three months to wrap up, or six months, excuse me, to wrap up any appeals. All right, that's that's about a that's a little year and a half bow that this whole thing has to be started and finished. And if it keeps dragging on for each day past the deadlines, the state of Mississippi is fining the NCAA under this law. And I think that <laughs> is gorgeous. Uh, we could pave every, the, we could pave every road in gold if that right? uh, law was enacted now. This is year 5, I think of the old Miss But that's the thing. <laughs> investigation Look, it's, we're it's going into. State yeah. fans, I'm sure they love the fact that this is miring down old Miss and I I mean if you are a state fan, of course. But the thing is, I mean this thing is dragged on for years and years and years and years and the problem with it is is that the NCAA is a billion dollar not-for-profit industry that is responsible to and regulated by no one. No one. It's accountable to no one. So they could just make up rules as they go and decide to pick on who they want to. And if they don't like the way that you react to their picking on you, then by God, they're just going to they're going to sit down on it for a little bit. You know? And if whatever happens to your school, I'm sorry. They, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no, there's no precedence that they set with anything that they do with regard to punishment. Ask the University of Miami. Ask Jerry Tarkanian. Meanwhile, John Wooden. Oh, everything was on the up and up. He's just the greatest coach of all time. Nothing North, was happening there. North Carolina is still uh, North in the Carolina, middle of a 10-year right? battle with grade issues. So I think that's fantastic. I, there's no chance this will ever see the light of day as a real law in the state of Mississippi. But I sure hope it would. And I would hope that they could start hitting the NCAA uh, for fines with regard to this Ole Miss thing retrospective to when it started. That's that's a source of revenue right there. All right, David Brandt, when we come back, this is Season Pass on Think Radio. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. I'm Jay White here with Sam Wells. On this thir- Thursday morning, we appreciate you listening. David Brandt is the uh, sports editor for the state of Mississippi for the Associated Press, and uh, we welcome him onto the program. Welcome him back to the program. Uh, David, uh, good morning. Thank you for your time. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing good, man. It's good to speak to you again. Uh, this college basketball season, a pretty interesting one. Uh, first, your thoughts about this uh, the Mississippi State-Kentucky game that we had earlier this week. Uh, the atmosphere, it's so funny. 
State seemed to turn a turn a corner with their team pretty quickly, and you know, not a week after I saw some articles about you know some some state media folks saying you know we've got we have a real basketball attendance issue. You know, they win a couple of road games in a row, and here comes Kentucky, and all of a sudden it's a packed house, and and uh, the magic is back. Yeah, no, the the atmosphere was fantastic. It was probably the best atmosphere at, at Humphrey Coliseum in six or seven years, and and I think that. As far as attendance, and I may, may be jumping down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but it's just that, um, you know, with the new TV contracts, with, with all the basketball games being on TV, you can see just about every Mississippi State game or Ole Miss game on TV if you want to. And so for consumers, for, you know, people who want to buy tickets to the game to go to places like Starkville and Oxford from places like Jackson or Tupelo or Memphis on a weeknight – and, you know, spend that many hours on the road and have their kids go to school late the next day, you know, just yeah. have those late nights. You've really got to have a good basketball team to sell those tickets and make it worthwhile. And I, I think that Mississippi State is is getting back to those days. They certainly uh, gave Kentucky everything they wanted there in the second half, uh, brought it to within three a couple times. At the, at the end of the day, Kentucky was just too skilled offensively. You know, that's a team that could certainly go to the Final Four. But I, I think Mississippi State – showed that they're a team that, that's not far off from being one of the better ones in the SEC. David, and to speak to your attendance thing uh, about Ole Miss, Ole Miss hasn't started school back yet, which is my – they get out December 2nd. They don't go back until the 23rd of January. So that yeah, might be a little bit of a problem. Know, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of these schools do these winter intercessions now, which allow kids to, you know, get some hours. And, you know, it's probably a good thing for students. But, yeah, there's a there's a big chunk of the school out for a extended – amount of the the conference season at a lot of places and that certainly that factors into the uh the the especially the atmosphere because the students are a lot of times some of your your loudest people in the stadium yeah uh, i was uh, just a little bit of a question for you guys I, I noticed uh a lot of the media folks around mississippi always tweeting about uh ted valentine uh, with his nickname little tv ted valentine and stuff like that playing around <laughs> new rules uh in place in the ba- in basketball and college basketball a lot of fouls the other night david on tuesday night with the state game I, I was looking at the box score at one point in the second half 21 on uh kentucky uh 19 on mississippi state that game was a fun game to watch once they kind of let it flow a little bit and let people run up and down the court. But, man, there were so many fouls, and it's really taking away from college basketball for me as a, as a, uh, as a fan anyway. Uh, but have you heard anything coaching-wise from maybe Ben Hallen or Andy Kennedy? Not, you don't have to go on the rec- – I mean, you don't have to tell me exactly who said it. But are they, are they frustrated with this, uh, this uh, whistle situation this season? Because, man, it seems awful. Yeah, I think they're a little frustrated with it. I, you know, John Calipari talked about it on the record after the game the other night. You know, he just – that State-Kentucky game, you didn't really think the officiating favored either team. There's just so many whistles. Like you said, the, the continuity is difficult. And another thing that's difficult is when there's that many fouls, that means some of your best players are usually not on the floor because they're in foul trouble or they fouled out. You know, people obviously want to come to games to see the best players. Um, and, and certainly, you know, some fouls, you got to call them. I mean, they're obvious, but there's, there's some, you know, some perimeter fouls, some kind of ticky-tack things that you wonder if you could let go and, and the better players stay in the game. It's just it's frustrating for everybody involved because, like you said, once the game got a little bit of flow, um, it was fun to watch. And, and the state-Kentucky game was certainly not an isolated incident. Um, a lot of fouls at the Ole Miss game the same night against Tennessee, and it, it just seemed <laughs> – 
you know, maybe a little bit of recency bias. We'd have to look into really dig deep in the numbers to see how many fouls are being called. But it, it certainly seems a little more of a herky-jerky game than it used to be. I was going to say there were there were 55 fouls called in that Tennessee Ole Miss game uh, that same night. So uh, very interesting. Um, Ole Miss had a player collapse uh, during a timeout, uh, and they confirmed that uh, he he had a seizure. What's uh, what's the what's the status of uh, that situation? What have you heard from that, and 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 are there going to be any any long term implications there? Uh, that's a great question. I, I don't think Ole Miss knows yet. I um, you know obviously that happened on what was that Tuesday night. So I was texting back and forth with with Andy Kennedy a little bit yesterday. And uh, they were, you know, he was doing all right in the hospital and everything, but they were still running a lot of tests and, and trying to figure out exactly what was going on. So, you know, the good news is that it appears he's, he's okay right now. But, you know, the, I don't know if it's bad news or just uncertain news. I, I don't know if they know what's caused it yet. So um, certainly when it comes down to medical issues, schools are understandably a little bit, you know, hesitant to give out information until the family knows and all that stuff. So, as far as I know, they're still running a lot of tests and, and trying to figure out what's going on. All right, so this Ole Miss team, it's a very interesting situation. 11-7 and seven right now, 2-4 and four in conference play. They had a pretty good non-conference run that set them up well RPI-wise coming into conference play. Uh, they've been banged up, and then the, the conference schedule did not help them out at all. I mean, starting off with you know Kentucky at home, Florida on the road, South Carolina on the road within your first you know, five conference games. Sitting at eleven and seven right now, the RPI's taking some damage. Second year at the Pavilion. This is this has allowed uh, some folks to take a look at Andy Kennedy and and the same questions that have been there for a long time, kind of still remain and sit there. Is is there an answer, or is there anything black and white that you could put into this kind of situation? I know it, it's different now because you have this gorgeous building that they're playing in and. You know, it's only new for so long, and you kind of want to capitalize on that. But, you know, it seems like, you know, AK does just enough to be able to not justify getting rid of him and moving in a new direction. It's got to be maddening for Ole Miss fans. Right. They are kind of stuck in some sort of NIT purgatory a little bit, you know, with, with Andy Kennedy over these last few years. And and you talked about the pavilion, and, and they've invested $100 million essentially into the basketball facilities. And certainly when you do that, you want some sort of payoff. Um, right now they're not getting it. I, I just think this Ole Miss team has been banged up. There's been some injuries. That's part of it. But really this team was kind of a little bit flawed from the outset. They don't have a real point guard outside of Brian Tyree, who's a freshman, who's just kind of starting to feel his way. Um, you know, post-scoring, they don't really have any of it outside of Sebastian Saiz, who's a really good player. But need some help so it's kind of a flawed roster and I certainly think like you said the SEC schedule was difficult early I think Ole Miss could make up some ground late but it's hard to see a path for them especially with the injuries they've only really got seven or eight scholarship players right now um, for them to to get to the NCAA tournament and and as far as Andy Kennedy's future I think barring something really surprising he's probably got at least one more year you know he's made the NCAA tournament two out of the last four years um, you know, and won a game each time when he got there too. So there's, he's, he's got, I think, and, and because people generally like him, he's built up a little bit of equity that as long as this year doesn't turn into just an abject disaster, I think he's okay. But, but certainly the grumblings are getting there. And, and I think 
they're stronger now that, again, like you said, the financial um, input that they've put toward the basketball program, $100 million is a lot. Yeah. And they expect a little bit of a return on that investment. David, a little renaissance here for women's basketball. Mississippi State is 19-0, and having the best season they've ever had. And, uh, and lo and behold, the week before, Ole Miss beat Tennessee. So uh, it seems like you've got a uh, – of course, Joy, Joy Lee – I always mess up her name. McNeilis is down there in Southern Miss doing a great job too. Uh, just talk about the popularity of women's basketball. I don't think I've seen it in the paper or uh, on TV as much in my entire life as I have the last uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, no, and especially at state. I mean, that's an excellent basketball team. What what Vic Schaefer has done there is is pretty incredible, and and certainly it's it, it's kind of surrounded by a, a, a local product from Scott County, Victoria Vivians, who's who's outstanding. But they've got a lot of other really good players, and and some players like Morgan William, Chinway Akori, Tierra McAllen. Those 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 ladies have taken a big step forward and are playing really good basketball right now. And that's the last year they were a sweet 16 team, obviously lost badly to UConn in that sweet 16. But this year, I I think if they can avoid the UConn bracket, they've got a real chance to go to the final four. If they stay healthy, Um, it's a great team. You know, they're drawing five or 6,000 a game, you know, easily for some of the bigger games, more like seven or 8,000. And and they've really got that program going as far as Ole Miss and Matt Ensel, uh, Ole Miss has played Mississippi State fairly close in Starkville uh, a few days ago, and so that was a good step forward. You know, Ole Miss was one of the worst teams in the league last year, and now they've stepped forward. They're probably kind of a middle-of-the-pack team, but certainly they've they've increased their profile to the point that they might make the NCAA tournament this year. And then you talk about Southern Miss, still a very competitive team down there too. So women's basketball is probably in the – I've been in Mississippi about 11 years – it, it's probably overall the best it's ever been during my time here. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I, I noticed that uh, that it was one of those days uh, that uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Southern Miss, the teams that they beat, I, th- I want to say the State beat Florida the same day Ole Miss beat Tennessee, and Southern Miss beat Old Dominion that night in women's basketball. And if you look back not too long, not too long ago, I think it was 1998. Those were two number ones and a two seed. One was the champ, and two, the other two were Sweet 16 teams. Uh, and that's you know three wins that Mississippi had all in the same night. So uh, it goes to show you how things can change, and then uh, you know what kind of basketball we've got going on here in the state of Mississippi. Uh, David, man, thank you so much, man. We certainly do appreciate talking to you as always. Absolutely, guys. Take care. All right, David Brandt, the uh, sports editor. For the Associated Press, for the state of Mississippi, always great to talk to him. Yeah, Good when conversation. I was, when I was in high school, Jay, I remember uh, Mississippi State beat Ole Miss's women's team in basketball. It was the first time ever Ole Miss was like sixty-four and zero against Mississippi State, and now I bet you that series is really, maybe not all the way evened out because I don't think they've played no, that many no, games. No, no, it's it's but, probably not. But Mississippi State's won at least fifteen games the last few seasons. Yeah, so. State is they've closed the gap, but I mean there was a there's a long, long list of van chancellor times right there that they've still got to try to make up for but um man thinking about this the other day because it was pat summit week uh i think it still is but man how pat summit won that many titles and skip burtman won that many titles and van chancellor and ron polk both never won one almost statistically impossible season pass we'll be back
Welcome back. It's MPBC's Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. So, all right, here we go. We've got, um, uh, what was the last thing we were going to talk about? Well, I totally forget. The Baseball Hall of Fame. Three Thank new you. Hall of Famers. Yeah, what do you think about that, Sam? Well, I don't like Pudge Rodriguez because he was on that Marlins team that crippled me uh, in 2003 <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the Cubs. But, uh, no, one of the best catchers ever, uh, Tim Rock Reigns. I think a lot of people have wanted him in for a while, so good for him. Uh, it at least gives you an opportunity to see a picture of the old Expos uniforms. Yes, for very no much. other reason other than that, he should be in there. And uh, i got to tell you, Jeff Bagwell, I don't really – I don't know about that. All right, so here's the thing. All right, you ready? All right, we don't have much time. We so only have like three minutes. All three of these guys uh, are specific pinpoint things with regard to arguments about the Hall of Fame. Okay, so number one, you got Pudge. Um, Pudge uh, never tested positive for PEDs, but he played on the Palmero Conseco teams. He was skinny, then he was humongous. Yeah. Uh, and he played uh, more consistently healthy with power at the most physically demanding position on the field for more than a decade. So um, if your argument that he is not a PED guy is that you don't have a positive test on him, guess who else you don't have a positive test on? You don't have a positive test on Barry Bonds. You don't have a positive test on Roger Clemens. You don't have a positive test on Mark McGuire. So I'm going to need you to put all them people in the Hall of Fame now, now that you've put Pudge in. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's that one. Uh, who are the other two guys? Tim Raines and Bagwell. Uh, Tim Raines. Okay. So this is not Tim Raines' first rodeo with the Hall of Fame, uh, but uh, outside of Ricky Henderson, he is one of the greatest offensive, complete offensive players that's ever played the game. He's the second best leadoff guy to ever play the game. Power, speed, uh, discipline at the plate. Walked a lot, stole a bajillion bases, eight more than more than eight hundred in his career. Uh, so the thing is, why was Tim Raines not a Hall of Famer last year, but he is this year? Would he unretire and go steal some bases? Yeah. Would he unretire and go win some games? No. So he's the same player he was last year that he is this year. This year he's a Hall of Famer. Last year he wasn't. That makes zero sense. But that's on the baseball writers. Who's the third guy? Uh, Jeff Bagwell. All right. Here's the deal about Jeff Bagwell. So you either, they say to be a Hall of Famer, you either have to have the stacked career numbers, the cumulative counting stats, like 500 homers or 3,000 hits, something like that. If you're a pitcher, it's got to be 300 wins, even though that's never going to happen again. So for that, it's either that or the quote-unquote decade of dominance. Now, Dale Murphy was one of the best three or four players in baseball in the 1980s, but he only played about 12 solid years. So he doesn't have the career total stats, even though he's one of the few back-to-back MVPs in the history of the game, National League 82-83. Bagwell had 12 really strong seasons. He was the best power hitter in the National League for a good five, six-year stretch and won the NL MVP on a team that went into the postseason. I say he gets in. I say Dale Murphy should get in. But that means that you got to loosen your reins a little bit on some of these guys that do get in. That don't, you know, you don't want to put this guy in just because he doesn't necessarily have 500 home runs, which Jeff Bagwell did not. And the other thing he is, he did have a huge thing on his hand though. He wore a pillow to bat. That's true. All right, that's going to do it for us. Our thanks uh, for uh, our thanks to uh, David Brandt. Thank you for coming on. We'll see you next Thursday for MPB Season Pass.